chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, and reading together. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might take your Holy Scripture this morning and speak to every heart, beginning with the Christian, beginning with the overcomer, beginning with the victor. Lord, have your will and way in our midst, we pray. May we be void from distractions. May we hear the Word of God not only with our ears, but with our heart, we pray. We'll be sure to praise you for what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 John chapter 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5, our 31st message in this book of 1 John, our sixth message in the, this John's hymn of love that began in 1 John 4, 7 and ends in chapter 5, verse 5, last two verses of this hymn of love. The scriptures read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. In quick review, we preached a message seven, a number of weeks ago now from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 14, of course. I know God's love lifted me from sinking sands, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. We saw a message six weeks or seven weeks ago now, whatever it was, entitled, I know no fear in the day of judgment. Perfect love casteth out fear. And then we preached a message entitled, I know as he is, as he currently is, so am I. We are now yet the sons of God. We are already joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We're already seated in the heavenlies. We are without sin in our divine nature, and we are, uh, we are perfected in his love. Then on Mother's Day, we preached a message entitled, I Know the Love of My Heavenly Father, and of course, the parallels with the love of my earthly mother. And then last Sunday, we preached a message from the first three verses of this chapter 5, entitled, I Know God in His Love Brings Confidence. God in His Love Brings Confidence. This word now before us in verse number four, I'm referring to the word victory. You probably even know it in the Greek language, Nikeo or Nike as the, tele, or the, the, the tennis shoe company has stolen the name. This victory, we find this word victory just 12 times in all of the Bible. 12 times, we'll refer to several of those 12 times here in just a few moments here. But the word overcome or overcometh, it's ex- exclusively a Johannine word or a, a word that only John uses. He uses it in the Gospel of John. He uses it here, of course, in 1 John. He uses it most often in the book of the Revelation. And it's the, the verb form of Nikeo or uh, 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 Nike, of course, which is Nikeo. And so the Bible says one more time, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
I know victory this morning. I want to speak on victory this morning. The in-your-face truth is simply this. The victory is finished in Jesus Christ. He said those words, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. The battle's already been won. He already paid the price. We're just ready to cash in here soon, someday, for all eternity. But the, the battle has already been won. The victory's already been won. The songwriter said, it is finished. The battle's over. It is finished. The victory is won. But every Christian, every real Christian, and that's redundant. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're either born again or you're not. You're either saved or lost. But every real Christian ultimately overcomes because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world, 1 John 4, verse number 4. And so here's the dig, or here's the clincher, if you will, this morning in this in-your-face truth. Victory for the child of God is a must. It's paramount that you win. Victory is a must. Victory must take place. So I want you to consider in a few moments, and I didn't bother, as we maybe many times do, to put all the sub-outlines in the bulletin. I want you to maybe just listen more than write this morning. But I want you to consider for just for a few moments as we begin this morning the sweetness of victory. The sweetness of victory. I remember, I'm old enough to remember in young people, there was a day when there was no such thing as satellite TV or cable television. Amen. And I remember the days when we got three channels I said it in an 8.15 service, and somebody raised their hand and said, Preacher, I only got two channels by rabbit ears. But I remember one of the channels that we always got on Sunday afternoons, in fact, it came on. It was the wide world of sports. And it was the thrill of victory. And as the, as the high jump skier was coming down the ramp and off the ramp on, uh, to the side and crashing into the barricade, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The, the, the politicians of the 1820s coined the phrase, to the victor goes the spoils. Of course, Vince Lombardi of the Packers, one of the greatest, most revered coaches in football lore history, said winning isn't the best thing, it's the only thing. And the word Nike, the word victory in the Bible found 12 times it means to subdue. It means to conquer, to get the victory. The very word itself, as he glanced at verse 4 again, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The very word victor implies that there's a battle. The very word victor implies that there's, a, there's opposition. Now let me just say this quickly here and move forward. Some folks don't know there is a battle. People of this world are very happy in this world. There's so many vices and so many pleasures of this world to enjoy that they're just lost in Never Never Land. They're just enjoying life in all its beauty and all its fun and all its lust and all its lure and all its carnality and all the rest. It's pleasing their flesh. There's many uh, people that don't even know there is a battle. There is a war to be fought. Bunyan called it the holy war, a battle for man's soul. But to the child of God, we understand that there's a battle. There's a victory. There's a, there's a, 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 a war to be waged. There's opposition. We're in against this world's struggle. 
The world, the world hates, us, hates us as they hated him. Uh, the second time we find, we only find it 12 times in God's word, the word victory. The second time in the Holy Scripture is 2 Corinthians, or 2 Samuel, excuse me, chapter 23, verse 10, speaking about one of David's three mighty men, Eliezer was his name. The Bible says he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Eliezer won a great victory, but the Bible says that his hand claved the sword and he was weary. There's struggle in the battle. It's part of victory to have before the victory comes the struggle, comes the weariness, comes the hard times. Two verses later in 2 Samuel 23, verse 12, Again, one of David's other mighty men named Shammah was his name. The Bible says, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. He stood his ground. Ephesians chapter 6 says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and stand and fight the good fight of faith, as Timothy says. And so victory seldom, if ever, comes to a people or a person that doesn't realize that there's a battle, doesn't realize there's a cause. For 40 days, the men of Israel stood on one valley, and I got to have the pleasure of going to that valley of Elath. Down in that valley, maybe three miles distance between one ridge top and another ridge top, the giant would come down every day from the Philistines, and he'd defy the armies of the living God for 40 days. And then the shepherd boy showed up, and he, with his five stones and his sling, he said to, he rebuked his brothers, his coward brothers, and he, says, he said, is there not a cause? Some people don't ever understand that, some, that sometimes there's a cause. There are politicians in England some 75 years ago, they didn't know there was a cause. One of their most chief politicians, of course, revered, buried in Westminster Cathedral. He didn't think there was a cause, and so he tried to broker peace between England and the Fuhrer. And a little fat man from 10 Downey Street, a few days later, on March 13, 1940, a fellow by the name of Winston, pulled a political coup, if you know your, your history. And he went in front of Parliament without the war conference being there, without Lloyd George and without Neville Chamberlain and the other politicians of the day. And as there was 350,000 British soldiers on the beaches of France and Dunkirk, just about ready to be annihilated, Mr. Churchill stood up in Parliament, who didn't care for him, by the way. In his own party, he had opposition in his own party. And he said these words, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, Tears and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. It would lead to the 50 days of straight bombing of the, land, of the, the city of London. The war on Britain, 34,000 casualties. He went on to say, you ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by land and sea and air. War with all our might and with all of our strength God has given us. 
and to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terrors. Victory however long, however hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Every Christian, I say to you 10,000 times, or more important than that, it's more important that we receive the victory. God's called us to have the victory. We are more than overcomers. For him that loved us, defeat is not an option. And so here's our message this morning in way of outline, form. I want you to notice, if we could, five things in regards to, I think we can pull out of our text this morning. The Bible says, first of all, verse 1 John 5, 4, once more, for whatsoever is born of God, born of God. First of all, this morning, I want you to know that victory comes through sacrifice. Sacrifice. You see, the victory was born of God. For God so loved the world, don't get tired of that verse, that he gave. Jesus said on the night of his betrayal, he knew he was going to the cross the next morning. And he said those, that, that verse that we quote so often in military services, we quoted it three weeks ago on our May 20th, Red, Red, and Blue Sunday. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. I love that verse. Then I would always get emotional on Memorial Day because for many years, and I go back, not in the last three, it hasn't happened in the last three because time goes on. But on Memorial Day, we used to have a picture on our communion table for years. It was a picture of Irene Tartaglino, who's been in heaven for three years now, three plus years. It was her brother, her 23-year-old brother, Fred. I buried Irene's sister. In fact, I buried Irene's three sisters. I buried her brother. I buried her brother or sister-in-law, the Weingart clan, many of you know who I speak of. I was by Godfrey's house just the other day, 99-year-old Godfrey, who's been in heaven for two or three years. Nine Weingarts. They all made it into their 70s, 80s, and 90s years. They're almost 100 years of age. But Fred, as a 22-year-old young man in 1943, he felt the call of Uncle Sam. And he went off to war with a, daughter, with a wife at home and a little baby. And most of you know the rest of the story. You know where I'm leading to. I hope someday if Lord Terry said I get to go to France, I'd love to go to France and see one of the 23 cemeteries with tens of thousands of United States American soldiers that are buried there with a simple white cross. One of those tens of thousands of crosses, there's a cross of... Fred Weingart, who gave his life in March of 1945. If you know your World War II history, the war is over at the end of April and, of course, the first days of May. The despot is finally incinerated. But Fred never made it from the, the, the land of Germany, and he's buried there in France. 23 years old, his brothers and sisters would all go on, his wife would go on, his children would go on. They'd live, and many of them, I'm sure, I think his children might be alive today, and I don't know about his wife. But victory comes through sacrifice. Young people, and I don't just, I'm not trying to hurt any young people here. I'm not trying to hurt the, the, uh, some of the 30s and 40s crowd in this 
but we should never take for granted those that have paid the ultimate price that we might have our liberties. Never, never take it for granted. Victory comes through the price. But the Bible says Jesus gave that prophecy. He said, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. But verse 12, which we don't quote as often, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. You see, sacrifice is always conducted in the context of love. This John's hymn of love, 1 John chapter 4 and 5, ends with this, this truth of victory that's born in sacrifice, that's born by love. We're willing to give all. People will die for something they love. People will throw up their hands and just surrender uh, and just have appeasement for something they don't care about. Sure, let's just get along. They cry peace, peace when there is no peace. But for the Christian that understands that we're in a struggle, there's victory, I want you to know, comes first of all through sacrifice. But then not only does it come through sacrifice, which is born of God, but it comes through surrender, secondly. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? It comes through surrender. I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, the Lord Jesus submitted to the will of his heavenly Father. Mystery of all mysteries. But he surrendered his will. The Bible says when we receive Christ as our Savior, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, we don't say the words, but you basically roll up the white flag of your life and say, I'm, I surrender. I give my life to you, Lord. In surrender, there's victory, as strange as that sounds. Mark 8 says it this way. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. There's millions upon millions, yes, billions of people around the planet Earth today that are holding on to their life. They're saying, no, God. They're saying, no, I will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. I'm my own, I'm the captain of my own fate, the master of my own soul. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to know that the best day of Japan's existence, and we'll hear a little bit about the Japanese imperial Empire tonight in a soundbite or so of Ms. Thornton's testimony. The best day of their existence. Let me just, you know what, forget the political correctness. Let me just tell you how it really is. Let me tell you, though, you'll never hear this on, on, uh, from the politicians. You'll never hear this from news media. But the best thing that ever happened to Japan in the last 20 years before 1945 was the dropping of the bomb of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. War sometimes saves lives. And you check it out if you don't know your history and you don't know the, the, the forecast of what it would have been. Those 100,000 people that had to die saved a million or maybe two million people that would have died both in America and in Japan. But we ended the war by war and it brought peace. The best thing today, Japan is one of our strongest allies. Angela Merkel might not like us, but Germany is one of our allies. The best thing that ever happened was the allies freeing Occupied the Axis powers in Germany. 
You see, there's victory in surrender. Isn't that amazing? Now, the, the, the Bible says that uh, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of are the ways of death. Jesus is ways, God's ways are not our ways, nor are our ways his ways. So I want you to know that victory comes through sacrifice. Victory comes through surrender. Those that are, become children of God, they surrender and they say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I have nothing to offer in my hands. I have no works righteousness. I'm defeated. I ask that you come into my heart. Forgive me. Give me your mercy. Give me your grace. Victory comes through sacrifice. It comes through surrender. But then, certainly, verses 4 and verse 5, and for that matter, with all the 104 verses that we see in this epistle of 1 John, direct us to the fact that Victory or overcoming comes exclusively through the Savior. Exclusively through the Lord, through the Savior. Another verse where we find the word, one of 12, where we find the word victory is 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that, in the heaven, that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted head above all. Head above all. You see, in the Savior, there's victory. He's all the victory. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Understand that victory is in Jesus Christ exclusively, completely. It's in the Savior. I was, we were on visitation, Brother Horton and I, and I'll be elusive where we were. We had several good visits yesterday. Some of our folks that are with infirmities and sickness, and someone was relaying to me the story how that a certain somebody, a visitor of theirs, came to church here a few months ago now. It was this year. And we had, they were first time guests in our church. And I preached a message on First John, one of the messages, previous ones, of course. And I mentioned about the fact that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And I mentioned that, that Mohammed can't save anybody. And I mentioned that Buddha is a false god, didn't even exist. And I mentioned several other things along that line. And these first-time guests, they left, and they, they were not happy at all. They were very, very displeased. In fact, they were absolutely irate. I can't believe he said what he said. I'm sorry that I maybe didn't communicate properly or they didn't care for what I said, but I don't apologize for what I said, the content of what I said. Because the content is true. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus is the only Savior. The fact of the matter is, to him be all the greatness, all the power, all the glory, all the majesty, all the victory, both in heaven and in earth. Psalm 98 verse 1 reminds us, another verse, verse, the fifth verse I think we've looked at now that has the word victory. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For the Lord hath done great things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten us, gotten him the victory. You see, victory comes through sacrifice. It comes through surrender. It comes through the Savior. But then, back to verse number four for the fifth time, maybe. Every word of God is there for a purpose. Every phrase has meaning. Every word has meaning. For whatsoever is born of God 
Turn a page in your Bible, look at chapter 3. Look at verse number 9 for a moment. That phrase, born of God, notice it with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. We don't have to write a new Bible or a new perversion of the word of God in order to correct God's word. People say, well, we know that we sin after we're saved. In Jesus Christ, we don't sin. In our new nature, we don't sin. In our old nature, we sin all the time. But I want you to know that in, in Jesus Christ, we are born of God. We do not commit sin. Why? Because our seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. We've made the supposition, and I make it again for the seventh time maybe, through this preaching series, that only a child of God can know love, because he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. God is, has that agape, that supernatural, that's out of this world love. And so being born of God, I don't sin in, in my new nature. Being born of God, Christian, we have a love that the world passes the world's knowledge they cannot know about because it's a love supernatural of God himself. First John chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You see, you must be born again. You must be born again by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Verse 18 of chapter 5, of course, it says, And we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But him that is begotten, or in other words, born of God, keepeth himself, and the, that wicked one cannot touch, touches him not. I don't have to be afraid of Satan taking my soul again. He can't have it. I'm, I'm bought, I'm redeemed, I'm in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sealed until the day of redemption. Christ is coming into my heart, and I'm, I have Christ in me, the hope of all glory. There's salvation. In 1 John chapter 3, or excuse me, John chapter 3, Nicodemus, of course. If anybody thought he was okay with God, it was Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the leader of the Pharisees. He had to be at least 50 years of age at the time. And he came to Jesus by now, and he was perplexed. And he said, Master, we know that no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. He said, Verily, verily, I send to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was pardoned of the Marty Shot slang. He was blown away. He said, How can these things be? Jesus said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Don't marvel if you're here. I was, had the opportunity this week to give a full-blown witness to a certain somebody that I'll leave unnamed. And I'm praying that they'll come to know Christ as Savior. But they're of another Christian religion, and I'll just leave that generic. And I said, the difference between your church and what the Bible says about biblical faith is you place a whole lot of trust in Jesus Christ. A whole lot of salvation is in Jesus Christ. Our salvation, the Bible's salvation, is all in Jesus Christ, 100%. And this person confessed to me, they said, well, I believe, and I think they used the percentage of 
99% in there. I believe that almost all is through Jesus, but we certainly have to do something. And I wanted to say to this person, I did in a very loving way, that, oh no, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Salvation, you say, what is Christianity? Christianity is Jesus Christ. It's not our church attendance. It's not our communion. It's not our baptism. It's not our almsgiving, our good deeds. Salvation and salvation alone in Jesus Christ brings the victory. That leads me to the last truth. Because you say, preacher, I've been born again. If, if you know you've been born again in a humble, almost a prayer way, how about an amen? amen. That was too loud. <laughs> Teasing. Thank you, Lord. I know whom I have believed. But I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I thank God. I know the sacrifice is complete. It is finished. Once for all. I know the surrender was done. Jesus surrendered his will to go to the cross. I know one day I surrendered at Calvary's cross. The hill called Calvary. And I won when I surrendered. I know my salvation is in the Savior. I received his salvation. But the Bible goes on to say, you say, but preacher, maybe you're like me. Sometimes you don't feel like a victor. You ever been like that, Christian? In fact, we still have some defeats from time to time, if we're honest. Nobody wanted to admit it here, but somebody might be discouraged this morning. Somebody say, if I'm an overcomer, how come I feel like I've been run over? Look at verse number five. Who is he that overcometh the world? This world is no friend of grace. This world hates us. And I don't have time another day, another message, but just this past week, I'm telling you, they're coming after us. They're coming after children of God. I just, I mean, there's so many case examples. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be smart, Alec. I believe there's two genders. I believe you're either a man or you're a woman. I believe that's pretty much settled from inception. Conception. I believe that it's pretty easy to figure out. But now we're told there's 27 genders. Now we have to accept it and it's being shoved down our throat. And it's being, we're going to be fined and we're going to be in prison and we're going to lose our tax exemption. And it's coming! It's already in other countries and it's coming to America. It's coming to California first. It always comes to the left coast first. It's coming. Marvel not, Jesus said that the world hates you. But I'm a victor. You're a victor. But there's a war going on. And so that leads me to, and I want you to take your Bibles and we'll end with talking about 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, the longest chapter of 1 Corinthians, of course, and one of the longest chapters, of course, in the New Testament, is the resurrection chapter in our Bible. And it ends with the subject of victory. In fact, we find victory sandwiched here in these, this chapter more than any other portion of Scripture, only found 12 times again. And I want you to know that victory, fifthly, this morning here, comes through service. 
through practical service. Notice with me, please, if you could, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. I've been talking, I've been talking to the Hortons, of course, this week. They've been spending the balance of last week with us, of course. And they're a couple, a couple years older than I am and Sonny are. And we were talking about, about aches and pains and things that are going wrong with our bodies. Pardon me. I hate these things. I'm sorry. I just, I mean, it's, I, I don't like them. That's why I keep putting them on and off and I just keep them on. I know, but I can't do it. Even though I should. I can't hear as well as I used to hear. Well, yeah. Good. That's good. I'm impressed. I'm getting wrinkles. I hate it. Creation formula is 44. is working. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. Things are going wrong with this body. Day by day. But I want you to know one day this corruptible is putting on any corruption. This portal is turning into Superman. <laughs> Immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who giveth us the victory. If I could use the Hortons once more. I, we were at uh, Friday night. Lenny uh, had us over to her house for dinner. We, we had to go to New York City, Brother Horton and I, to drop off uh, Caleb's dad, David Schnur, to LaGuardia. And he, had to, he flew out to England to see his missionary daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren. And so uh, Friday afternoon we're driving down to LaGuardia. Uh, I GPSed when we got to LaGuardia after we missed or went to the wrong terminal, and that was a nightmare, of course, and it was Friday afternoon. And so, so I Googled, one tw- Googled home, and of course, three hours. Now I can do that trip an hour and 50 minutes if there's no traffic, but it's like three hours, all this. And it, sure enough, I mean, it was parking lot city all the way home. I mean, they, 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 they rerouted us. In Danbury, of all places, they rerouted us on, on Route 7 and 202. Don't, don't even dare take 84 all the way to Waterbury. So we did. We took 7 and 202 up. Three hours later, we were supposed to be at dinner at 5.30. We got there at 7. And so we're at dinner, and we're hungry, and we're eating away. And Brother Horton, you got to forgive me. I'm, you, you, I'm just going to tattle. So somehow we got talking about medical terms and medical maladies. There's a PSA number. If you don't know what your PSA number is, uh, well, you ladies talk, you know, you've talked to somebody who knows what a PSA number is. Guys deal with this issue. And a bad number is anything over four. And Brother Horton starts laughing, and he says, yeah, I went to my doctor the other day, and I got a PSA number of 209. And, we start la- and he starts laughing. His wife starts laughing. And uh, so Lisa says, uh, well, what are you going to do about it? That's serious. He just says, well, what do you want me to do about it? I'm 87 years old. <laughs> he started laughing. We started chuckling around the table. We're looking death in the face and laughing at it. Well, the problem was my little six-year-old granddaughter was there. And so Macy was, uh, we're here, we're laughing about dying. And so it was a teachable grandpa moment. I put Macy on my lap. I said, Macy, why, why are the Hortons kind of laughing about maybe dying? I said, who do they know? I had to prop her a little bit. She said, Jesus. I said, where are they going to go when they die? Heaven. Bingo! You got it. You can't scare a Christian with heaven. You can't scare a Christian with 
knowing Jesus is Savior, and so we laugh. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And so we see in this service, the Bible concludes 1 Corinthians 15, 58, this resurrection chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Listen, live your life in such a way, and you're going to try and instill in our eight seniors this tonight. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. They're just beginning. You know, I'm three quarters to the end. Many of you my age and older, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are seven eights, some of you are nine tenths. Some of you are 99 100s of the way there. I've come too far to look back. If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it all over again. Steadfast, unmovable, that's sure. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And then satisfying. Therefore, to him, or therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I end with an illustration and will give you the thought to know. On Monday, I had the great privilege of going down to Yale University uh, had a two-hour tour conducted by a Princeton and Cambridge graduate by the name of John Hingston. And we went to places in old Yale that I'm sure most Yaleys go through four years of Yale and probably never see. But we ended up our tour at a bronze placard that was a water fountain, but they took the water fountain out, had a verse, it's, the verse is still there, it's engraved in, in brass, and I'm the water of life. And the picture there at Yale University is one of the most famous students of Yale, William Borden, graduate of Chicago High School, 1904, or 19, excuse me, 19, I think it was, class of 1924 of Yale. He was an unusual combination, rich, us folks that get jealous from time to time, we might call him filthy rich, his 16th birthday present was a trip around the world and on, on, a, on yachts or on ships of the day. But Yale, or rather, William of Borden, he was a rich man, but he loved Jesus with all of his heart. He came to Yale, and he became the head of everything there was to be ahead of everything in Yale. Phi Beta Kappa, the Yacht Club, all the sports, the head of the Young Men's Christian Society, on and on the accolades go. Graduated some cum laude at summa cum laude for you that don't know your Latin. He surrendered to, he started a mission, it's still going today, it's not preaching the gospel in order, but he started a mission in New Haven, Connecticut, with his own money for drunks and derelicts and the homeless. And he surrendered to go to the mission field, he chose to go to the Muslim people of China, one particular district of China, 20 million strong. At 26, he set sail he could have been financed for the rest of his life by his wealthy millionaire father, but he chose to not take a dime of his daddy's money. Only that he had a heavenly father in heaven that could take care of him. So he wrote in the front cover of his Bible those words, no reserves. He sailed across the Atlantic. He sailed up through the Mediterranean. He arrived in Cairo, Egypt, and there he contracted a disease, a sickness. 
And he wrote in his Bible, no retreats. They said, we need to get home to a good professional hospital in the United States. He said, no, I've come on a mission. You see, it pays to serve the Lord. It pays to fight the good fight of faith. It pays to be an overcomer and want the victory and serve the Lord faithfully, fervently. And so the truth to know is simply this. Victory is mine in Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. It's a guarantee. But, wait a minute, there's a human side to this. Isaac Watts said it this way. Sure, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. And do me, give me strength. And for when the battle's over, I shall wear a crown, I'm paraphrasing. But the victory is mine in Jesus Christ, but I must fight the battle to win the crown. Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. None of us in this room have finished our courses yet. Pardon me, including the Hortons. We all have a fight to fight till the last day that God, till he calls us home. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me, not to me only, but to all that love is appearing. Last story and I'm done. I love when great things happen at Harvest Baptist Church. And about 10 years ago now, one of those great days happened. Right about where the Parmers are sitting, an elderly gentleman walked in. He was about 80 years of age. Sat down. We had the handshaking time. And uh, I went right for him because I saw he was a strange face. And I, he was with somebody else uh, as well. And I shook his hand and he said, I said, what's your name? He said, and he gave me his first name. And he says his last name was Van Dievender. And I just, knowing my hemology a little bit, I said, oh, you by some chance, you and I related to Judson Van Dievender, are you? He said, he was my grandfather. Judson Van Dievender wrote, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. He was born in 1855 in Michigan. He went to Hillsdale College. He was a school teacher, a public school teacher in Sharon, Connecticut. He was a musician and he wanted to, he was a layman, never was a preacher per se, but he wanted to be highly involved in the Lord's work, wanted to do the work of an evangelist. He wrote many songs. In fact, he wrote 60 other songs in our hymn books. But the song he's most noted for is All to Jesus I Surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Van Tevender wrote that when he was 41 years of age. Two-thirds of his life was complete. And he struggled and he said these words, and I quote, For some time I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last, the pivotal, point, point, pivotal hour of my life came, and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. God had hidden a song in my heart, and in a touching tender chord, he caused me to sing, All to Jesus, I surrender, all to him I freely give. And I've heard, uh, there's another book, I'll give you, a, give you a, a book review in three seconds. 
Greater experiences of, deeper experiences of great Christians. Read the deeper experience of Francis Havergill. Read the deeper experience of, of Judson Van Devender. He walked a consecrated walk to the Lord. At 41, he said, although he was a Christian, he said, this time, all to Jesus. I surrender. You see, the victory is a done deal. It's ours. Victory is mine in Jesus Christ. He is mine. He is mine. But we must know that there's a sacrifice, a cross to be born. We must serve him steadfastly, surely, and, and, and with joy. God will bless each and every Christian, and we'll say, we'll hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Lord, to be born of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. Lord, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest opportunity anyone could ever have. Lord, I pray this morning, even though this is, we're five hours and 15 minutes away from our evening service, our commencement service, I pray for our teenagers, our seniors particularly. Lord, do they have a whole life if you tarry and you're coming to live? Oh, Lord, use them. Lord, have your will and way in our midst, we pray this morning. Lord, may we surrender all, and may we win by surrender, we pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together, 153 in the hymn book as Caleb leads us. If you'd like to come to the altar.